Welcome to episode four of the new podcast series from Understanding Society, the academic study that captures life in the UK in the 21st century. Understanding Society is a longitudinal survey. Every year we question every member of thousands of the same households across the UK about key areas of their life. In each episode of this series, we're exploring how our data has been used in a key area. We'll look at what it told us when analysed and what it's informed as a result. I'm Catherine MacDonald, your series host. In this episode, we're focusing on civic participation and whether certain types of social action make young people more likely to vote. My first guest is Dr Stuart Fox from Brunel University in London. My second is Victoria Harkness, Head of Research and Evaluation at NCS, the National Citizen Service Trust. I began by asking Stuart what his research had focused on. The key thing I was interested in was whether children who volunteered in whichever form of volunteering that was, whether they became more likely to vote in their very first election, the first election in which they were eligible to vote. And the reason I was focused on that first election is that we know that people who get into a habit of voting early are likely to keep on voting for the rest of their lives. If somebody votes in the first two or three elections in which they are eligible to vote, there's a greater than 90% likelihood that they will vote in every election for the rest of their adult lives. If people don't vote in those first elections, however, then there's an equally high chance that they will remain lifelong abstainers. So I was interested in whether volunteering could help reverse a long running trend of falling turnout amongst young people by helping more young people to vote in their first election and so start to form that lifelong voting habit. And you used Understanding Society for this research. Why was that such a good study for you to use? Well, Understanding Society is the only survey in the United Kingdom that could sustain this project. Uh, There are many reasons that it was ideal for this research, but there was no other way of doing it. The key features of Understanding Society that matter here is that it collects data from children as young as 11, meaning that I could find out whether or not children were volunteering before they were eligible to vote. It then collects data from those same people every year, right the way up through their lives, past the age of 18, and it collects data on whether or not they voted. It also collects data on how politically engaged they are and how politically engaged and the socioeconomic status of their parents. Now, this is really important because when we look at the trajectory of turnout in Britain over the past, say, 50 years, what we see is that younger people have become systematically less and less likely to vote over time. But it's predominantly those from the poorest backgrounds and whose parents are unlikely to vote themselves who are particularly unlikely to vote. And so what I needed to know is not just whether somebody who volunteered in childhood was more likely to vote after they turned 18, but particularly whether somebody from a poorer background or who was raised by politically disengaged parents became more likely to vote after volunteering in childhood, because they're the ones that we really need to do the most for to get them to the ballot box and to get them forming a habit of voting. And what did you find? 
Well, the great news is that I found that volunteering does help children from politically disengaged backgrounds become more likely to vote. Uh, and the principal reason for this is that people who volunteer do become more connected to their communities and to people in those communities. Anybody who volunteers tends to become more interested in what other people in their community think of them. They become more receptive to social norms or beliefs, such as it's important to vote in elections. It's a civic duty to vote in elections. So what my research found is that children from poorer backgrounds if they volunteer, become more likely to believe that voting in elections is a civic responsibility. It's something that we all have a duty to do for the benefit of our community and the benefit of other people in our community. And this has a really powerful effect on turnout. So unsurprisingly, someone who thinks voting is a civic duty is very likely to vote in general elections. So what I found is that amongst children from poorer backgrounds, if they volunteered, they became more likely to see voting as a duty and therefore more likely to vote in their first election. I understand you found something of a downside too, though. What was that? The overwhelming majority of children who do volunteer do not come from poorer or politically disengaged backgrounds. The overwhelming majority of children who volunteer come from wealthier backgrounds and their parents are likely to be politically and civically active. They might even volunteer themselves. Now, these children, when they volunteer, don't become any more likely to vote when they're older because they are already very likely to vote as a result of being raised in a wealthier, politically and civically engaged household. So volunteering is an effective way of getting more children to the ballot box. But the majority of children who currently volunteer don't really experience much of a benefit because they're likely to vote anyway. It's for about one in four children who volunteer and come from poorer backgrounds among whom we see this, this benefit and this boost to their belief that voting is a civic duty and therefore a boost to their turnout. So is volunteering a feasible option as a policy tool? Well, it, it certainly looks that way. We certainly can be confident that children who are successfully recruited to volunteering schemes, if they come from poorer backgrounds, do become more likely to vote in elections. But everything hinges on how successful we can be with volunteering schemes at recruiting children from what are currently very underrepresented backgrounds, particularly those from poorer households whose parents may not work, whose parents may not own their house, and whose parents may not themselves have any interest in politics or not be politically active either. If volunteering schemes and programmes can be successful at getting more young people from those kinds of backgrounds involved, then there's a good likelihood that we'd start to see the benefits of that filter through into electoral turnout and possibly even other ways. But it all hinges on how well we can get children from poorer backgrounds to take part in volunteering schemes. And it's fair to say that that, despite decades of research and millions of pounds of public money being spent on it, is not something that as a society we've been particularly successful at. So that's really interesting because that was going to be my next question. How do we target that group? But it, it sounds like at the moment there's not an effective model for that. Yeah, I think that's fair. Uh, there has been a lot of research into how young people from backgrounds that are typically underrepresented amongst volunteers can be recruited. And that's not just young people from poorer backgrounds. It's also ethnic minority young people. It's young people living in inner city areas. And it's young people who tend not, when they're older, to go on to higher education. These are all underrepresented in volunteering schemes. There's been a lot of research and a huge amount of work by volunteering organisations and civil servants to try and get more young people from those backgrounds involved. But 
The research shows that the gap in who is likely to volunteer really hasn't changed that much in recent years. And our volunteering schemes are still dominated by children from middle class households and usually being raised by politically and civically engaged parents. If we look at the Understanding Society data, for example, what that tends to show is that of everybody who is aged around 18 to 24 who volunteers, roughly three quarters of them come from middle class households. They tended to have at least one parent who was a professional or they had at least one parent who was very politically engaged. Only one in four children who volunteer come from poorer and politically disengaged households. And that figure doesn't seem to have changed very much in recent years. What would you like policymakers to take away from this research then? And what are its next steps? I think the key thing that policymakers need to take away from this research is that volunteering schemes have the potential to increase turnout amongst children and particularly amongst those young people who are by far the least likely to vote. That means that volunteering schemes have the potential to reduce inequalities between those who are voting and having their voices heard in our political process and those who are being overlooked. That said, there's still a lot that we need to do to confirm that that potential could be realised. We need to know, for example, whether any boost from volunteering is still apparent after two or three elections in the future. We need to know what kinds of volunteering bring the greatest impact so that we know where resources should be focused. And finally, we need to know who else volunteering can help. We know that it can make children from poorer or politically disengaged households more likely to vote but we don't yet know whether it has the potential to reduce inequalities that reflect ethnic background or migrant status or even gender. And it's important that we find out just how much volunteering can help reduce inequalities in political representation so that policymakers know how important it is when judging how to support volunteering in the future. And what has the research already fed into? The research has been involved in a number of ways in discussions with policymakers and third sector organisations in considering what potential volunteering has to reduce inequalities in turnout and how we might capitalise on it. I've been involved, for example, with the Step Up to Serve charity that run or used to run the hashtag I Will campaign. I've been involved with colleagues from the Welsh government, from the National Citizen Service, in not only talking about and thinking about how volunteering schemes could be used to reduce inequalities in turnout, in other words, how the findings of this research could be put into practice, but also in finding out other ways in which we can study the benefits of volunteering and finding other gaps in our knowledge that surveys such as Understanding Society could be used to fill in and really try and build up the evidence base that we can present to policymakers to support the use of volunteering to reduce inequalities in political representation in the future. I know that you feel there's a misconception about the supposed generational shift in political engagement. Can you explain a bit more about that and why you feel it's a dangerous misconception? Um, there is a widely held belief amongst academics, journalists, campaigners and, and, and some politicians, that today's young people constitute a distinctly politically engaged generation. They are more engaged than their predecessors and they're more likely to make their voices heard than, say, their parents were at the same age through things like protest activities and signing petitions and so on. Uh, and that is uh, a really serious misconception because that belief actually confuses two really important societal trends. 
The first one is that our society on the whole in the past 50 years has become more likely to take part in protests or to sign petitions or to express ourselves online to politicians. We've become less likely to join political parties, but more likely to support transnational campaign organizations and more likely to donate to charity or take part in online protest activities. Everybody has become more likely to do these things. It's happened across the generations. It's a societal shift. It's not something that is limited to or even being led by young people. Now, once we take that societal shift into account, we do see a generational trend, but it's one in which the average young person born after 1980, for instance, is actually less likely to take part in many political activities than their parents were at the same age. And that's not just voting. It includes protesting, petitioning, joining campaign organisations. We also know that people who have grown up since the 1980s are less likely to be interested in politics and they're less likely to regularly interact with political news, whether that's through online websites or reading newspapers. People born since the 1980s are less likely to do it. Now, it's a really serious problem that we have this misconception because it misses the fact that the average young person today is less likely to be politically engaged and less likely to be politically active than their parents or their grandparents were at the same age. If we overlook that fact, it means that as a society, we are not talking about how we are failing younger generations, how we are failing to prepare them to encourage them and to make them feel confident enough to participate in politics. If we ignore that and instead try to promote and protect this misconception that today's young people are hyper-engaged but outside of the traditional political structures, we are going to make this problem of falling youth turnout, falling youth political representation in our debates, and even widening inequalities in who gets to take part in political debates between older people and younger people and people from different economic backgrounds, we're going to make those problems far, far worse. So I think it's a really, really serious problem that this belief is so widespread. Getting our young people engaged in politics is clearly a driving force for you and the work you do. So what would you say to any young person listening to this now who's maybe yet to take an interest in politics? Well, the first thing I would say is that nobody, not me and not anybody else, has the right to say that you absolutely should take an interest in politics. It's entirely down to you whether or not you are interested in politics and whether you think it's something important for you to take a part in. But what I would say is that if you're not sure or if you think you will take an interest in politics, you just haven't yet, that you really, really need to get started. You really need to get stuck into these political debates. And I would point to what has happened to young people over the past 10, even 20 or 30 years. Since 2010, we have, for example, seen tuition fees trebled. We've seen welfare support for young adults restricted. We've seen support for social housing cut back. All the while, we've seen pensions protected and more and more money spent on pensioners, on the health service, on the kind of facilities that older voters are more likely to need than young people. Now, this isn't to say that we shouldn't spend money on pensions or that it isn't important that we spend money on the health service. But what we are seeing is the services provided for young people being cut back more and more to help pay for the services that older people need. And I don't think it's much of a stretch to say that that would not happen if politicians knew that they had to take as much notice of their younger constituents as they do 
their older constituents. And the only way that politicians will be convinced of that is if young people vote in the same numbers as older people and make the same contribution to deciding whether or not those politicians have still got a job at the next election. So if you are a young person who is unsure about whether you need to get involved with politics, I would urge you to really seriously think about what is at stake if you don't. And I don't think you have to look too far back in our political history to see what happens when politicians know that they can get away with prioritising older people over younger people. The National Citizen Service Trust, or NCS as it's known, was formed with the aim of engaging, uniting and empowering young people. Victoria Harkness is the Trust's Head of Research and Evaluation. Our vision is very much about creating a country of connected, confident, caring citizens where where everyone feels at home. NCS is founded on the ethos of challenge, of social mixing, increased responsibility and independence, reflection, and of course, while we're we're particularly interested in in Stuart's work, uh, in social action. So in terms of what that looks like, our our programme's anchored around a sort of two to four week part residential experience. Um, It includes the phase of outward bound activities, which is very much about getting young people out of their comfort zone, developing important life skills. So the sort of lessons that they don't necessarily learn in the classroom and delivering a, a social action project. So that's where our young participants spend between 30 and 60 hours planning and delivering a social project, a social action project in their local area. And for us, this is very much about creating more understanding of their responsibilities as a citizen and and their potential to affect change. And actually, civic engagement forms one of our three core pillars uh, in terms of what we as as a programme are trying to achieve, together with social mobility and social cohesion. We want to encourage young people to take an interest in debate on matters of local and national political interest and promote their understanding of how to participate in national and local elections. And so is your programme open to any young person? Yes, absolutely. Open to any young person um, who who hits the age range. Yes. So we're very much targeted at the 16 to 17 year old age range, uh, open to anybody. um, But we're particularly keen to make sure that, you know, we're encouraging young people from uh, some of those more marginalised groups, particularly thinking about young people who might be on free school meals, for example, um, who are living in opportunity areas. And linking back to Stuart's research, it's, it's really important to make sure those young people are really getting the opportunities to experience things like social action and civic engagement. And what's your reaction to Stuart's research findings that today's young people are less likely to vote in their first election than their parents and grandparents were? I think that Stuart's findings make a really important contribution to this debate. Age obviously remains a big dividing line in British politics. We know young people participate less in politics than older people, particularly when it comes to those traditional measures around voting. We also know that we have lower turnout amongst young people compared to some of the European countries as well. And it's a real concern that it's those from poorer households who are particularly inactive and underrepresented in our democratic system. You know, this isn't great for democracy and it arguably affects these people materially as well. So it's really important to understand what more we can do to engage young people. But I would say that there's a question about whether we should just be looking at it through the lens of more traditional forms of political participation like voting. So in reality, you know, young people do, they and they are engaging in civic society and they are making their mark in a multitude of ways and I'd say in particular we've seen real increases in young person engagement in civic society during during the pandemic. And when you talk about civic engagement what specific things are you referring to? 
So I think that's a really interesting question. And I think civic engagement can capture all sorts of things. I think if you look at some of the surveys and some of the traditional routes through which we try and measure wider sort of civic engagement of the population and of young people. We talk to civic consultation, you know, democratic engagement, political participation, things like social action volunteering. I think it has the potential to capture a whole host of different types of activities. What do you see at NCS as the major challenges facing today's young people when it comes to being civically and politically engaged? So I think the first thing to say that it's not necessarily all negative. Young people have more ways and means to engage civically if they want to in their toolkit than previous generations. It could be argued, you know, digital apps, social media and so on. And we also know that young people hold a strong belief in their collective power. So even before the pandemic, um, the government's own youth social action survey, which is a really important piece of research that that measures the level of engagement amongst young people in social action. And that shows that majority of young people, they say they care about making the world a better place. So almost nine in 10 at the last measure. And I'd say that the pandemic has really highlighted just how engaged young people want to be and can be. It's really served as a catalyst. I think the question is, is how organisations like ours can really capitalise on that. But that said, yes, there are there are challenges. The first of those is, is around the fact that some young people simply don't feel that their voices get heard. And as I mentioned earlier, you know, we, we are interested in elevating youth voice. We conduct our own research and we actually did some earlier this year with, with teenagers. And, and that showed that a significant majority, 85%, feel that their views often go unheard by the people making decisions about the future of the country. So I'd say that's a big challenge there. And I think actually that may link to to why we see more of those softer forms of democratic engagement among these age groups away from the more formal political participation um, towards more kind of non-political community service. So if there's a way of making a difference in a quicker and a more visible way versus the more traditional political route that might feel a bit slower or more removed, we see young people gravitating to that. The other challenge is from a kind of policy and practitioner intervention perspective is that it's arguably harder to find a route into engagement with this generation. Young people today don't necessarily buy into say, a political cause or, or, or certainly a party, you know, the way that older generations did when perhaps they were younger. It's, it's less binary, it's more complex. You know, we know they're more fluid when it comes to brands, to the organisations or issues that they interact with. So it's really important to understand what drives and motivates this age group. What changes have you seen COVID make to civic participation in young people? So I think COVID and the pandemic has really served to highlight the invaluable role young people want to and have been playing in supporting their communities. I think sometimes young people, or certainly at the beginning of the pandemic, perhaps they were getting a bit of a bad rap, you know, they were a bit dismissive of lockdown restrictions, all the rest of it. And and actually that's proven to be very unfair. There's been a lot of really good research conducted over the last 18 months with young people, and it's showing that they have a real sense of social responsibility. You know, Gen Zers have been really worried about the impact of COVID-19 on wider society, you know, vulnerable people, the NHS and so on. But they're showing, they've been showing more interest in, in activism and social causes since, since the outbreak. And, you know, our own research, as I said, you know, we've been really interested to understand where young people stand on a lot of this. And when we ask them, you know, how do you feel you can contribute to, to the recovery? They feel 
that they have a lot to contribute to the nation's recovery. They want to help out in their local community and help others. And I think actually some of some of the evidence is already starting to, to show that. So, I mean, if you take a look at the latest community life survey, which is one of the big government surveys looking at, at, at the sort of areas of sort of civic engagement and volunteering, we actually have seen a marked jump in the number of 16 to 24 year olds participating in civic participation during 2020-21 compared to the previous years, sort of a jump from 37% to 48%. And actually that make, that's more than any other age group. So, you know, we're actually seeing firsthand the impact of the pandemic, whether that's a, that, that's a trend that continues remains to be seen. The other thing to say is, you know, at NCS, we saw this evidenced firsthand. So we weren't really in a position to deliver our traditional residential programmes last year. But we were really keen to support young people in having something that they could still experience during their summer. And we launched a, a, what we called a Keep Doing Good programme. And we were able to engage almost 7,000 young people in social action and volunteering to help rebuild communities. So everything from, you know, supporting the charity association by getting young people to volunteer in, in local charity shops where perhaps a lot of their traditional volunteers would have been shielding, volunteering in food banks, supporting, you know, those who felt sort of lonely and isolated in their communities. I think there is perhaps a little bit of a challenge and a question for us here for the, for the policymakers, you know, reflecting, you know, when the pandemic hit, last year the instant reaction was very much about how do we engage adults in the huge you know volunteering response effort and I think maybe we need to think about how we work to correct that because we know there is appetite from young people to do their bit and yes we need to think carefully around how we manage that issues such as safeguarding really really important but that shouldn't put us off. So if we move on to talk about the type of volunteering that Stuart's research looked at, do you see that type of volunteering as a feasible policy tool? Uh, yes, it's it's an important tool. I think what we probably argue, though, is that the idea of volunteering as a tool for promoting democratic engagement and as a route to the ballot box isn't necessarily a new one. We've been very much set up with, with that in mind and we've been running 10 years and there's also investment that's been made in, in other areas so like one really good example is, is the I Will Fund which is dedicated to supporting social action among young people and I know that's that's one that Stuart mentioned in his interview as well. Because of that you know we've built up a really solid evidence base that helps to show the positive impact that volunteering and social action can have at the ballot box. I would stress though that when we think about volunteering as a policy tool it's not just about the sort of democratic engagement angle. We know from the evidence as well that volunteering and social action is also really key to helping boost educational attainment and supporting participants to develop their employability skills. It helps them to develop really important life skills, boost self-confidence, self-esteem, it enhances well-being. And so, you know, those are really, really important benefits from, from volunteering as well. So how do we encourage our young people to volunteer, particularly those from politically disengaged and less wealthy households? So I think firstly, it's about making sure that the opportunities exist. We also know from the National Youth Social Action Survey that one of the big issues that young people cite around not taking part is because there are few or no opportunities in that area.
The other thing is to think about understanding the barriers and the motivators about why young people may or may not want to take part in volunteering or social action. We know that being able to do it with friends is a really important motivator, as well as if they could do it with their their sort of school, college, university or or through work. And, And NCS, social mixing and peer group working, is a real pillar of our approach. This idea of building trust between young people from different backgrounds to be able to share experiences and stories. And we've seen in practice how this can play out in terms of the kind of social action they go on to do in in their local area and of course NCS we also work very closely with schools as a way to promote and engage young people with the value of of our program and the social action activity that, that takes part. I think the other the other area in terms of trying to encourage uh, more engagement is thinking about locally tailored solutions. And I think that's particularly critical in terms of thinking about how we engage more of those marginalised groups and, and also not making the assumption that just because you provide activities that they're going to come running to them. It's, it's also how do you provide a hook and, and, and engage these young people? So how can Stuart's research help an organisation like NCS? His work shows the link between volunteering and propensity to vote being particularly effective in encouraging young people from politically disengaged and from poorer households to do so. So this means that youth volunteering really has the potential to reduce socioeconomic inequalities in turnout that leave the poorest members of society the least well represented in our democracy. It also tells us at NCS that what we're doing is is right and serves a really important social purpose. So I'd say Stuart's work is a really important contribution to the wider literature and evidence, um, some of which I've talked to as part of this interview, uh, about the value of social action and volunteering and really helping to level the playing field amongst the, the poorer and the wealthier in society. You can read more about Stuart's research via the publications section of the Understanding Society website. My thanks to Stuart and Victoria for contributing to this discussion and to you for listening. Join us for episode five, where we'll be looking at how relationships are changing and the role the pandemic has played in that.